Hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome to New Valley Church. I am so glad that you have joined us for this service. We continue in a new series that we're in called A Light for Darkness. And this series is really a vision series as we look at some of the biblical images that God has given us for his church. Last week, we looked at Matthew 5 and saw that we're called to be salt and light in a world that desperately needs that. And today we'll be looking at a family for orphans, and in coming weeks we'll look at a community for the lonely, a table for in the wilderness, and a kingdom for exiles. But today, a family for orphans. Um, when we become followers of Jesus, we are no longer orphans spiritually, but we become the sons and the daughters of God. And in so doing, we gain brothers and sisters. We get a new family. And not only brothers and sisters, we get fathers and mothers in the faith as well. It says in John 13 this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus says that one of the most compelling reasons that people that we know and family and friends and people who don't yet fully know the gospel will come to know that reality if they see our love for one another. It's one of the most compelling things that Jesus calls us to, our love for one another. By that, they'll know you're my disciples. We're called to be salt, we saw last week. We are to be adding flavor to our relationships in such a way that people who are far off from God are drawn in because of the flavor. We are to be helping with the decay that goes on in our society because we are, we, we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the earth, Jesus says as well. Just like a city on a hill, you can't hide that. Or if you take a lamp and put it up in a high place in a house, it illuminates the room with a beautiful warm glow and it draws people towards it because of its beauty and because of all the things that it demonstrates and shows. We're to be like that and we're to be family to one another in such a way that our love for one another would be compelling to people around us. And so I just want to begin really more with a question and a bit of a challenge as well. Is, is that true of the church today? That our love for one another is so compelling that people throughout the world are being drawn to the church. And I have to say, there are parts of the world, I think, where this is very much true. And there are certainly places and pockets and churches. And it's even my own experience, I would say, at New Valley largely, is that there's this beautiful love for one another. And I do find it compelling. But there's also this challenge in general, as people in our society think about the followers of Jesus, in this moment, in the midst of the great trial that we're in with both a pandemic, but also a political division that we're experiencing and an anger and divisiveness, is, it, is this the general consensus that the people of God are loving each other so well that people are being compelled to see the Christ that we follow? It's a challenge. Every one of us is shaped by a story and worldview. And as the followers of Jesus, we're called to be shaped more and more into the reality of the gospel story, the true story of God. And the truth is, and the reality is, all of us are being shaped by various stories and there are competing stories. But friends, as the followers of Jesus, we need 
profoundly need to be shaped, particularly in this moment, more and more and more by the story of God. This May, we brought a new puppy into our home. Her name's Lucy. And I've often laughed at the good fortune of this dog as we have brought her into our house because she's the third dog that Becky and I have had since we got married. The first dog, Darby, was amazing, and we loved her so much, and she was like a baby to us. We brought her home. We took pictures of her first steps up the stairs, that kind of thing. We had picture books of her, but then we began to have our family. We had our three boys, and with each addition of those sons into our lives, this sweet, precious baby of a dog became a dog to us. Then we had Molly, our our second dog, and Molly was an awesome dog, and she was loved well by everyone in the family, but we were busy with young kids and sports and school and so many activities. The truth is, in many ways, we didn't have a lot of time for her, but Lucy is coming into our lives at kind of an opportune moment for her, and we're almost empty nesters, and once again, This is like a baby to us, this little dog. And we're inviting her into our life. And it's so exciting and wonderful. And we treat her with all this love and attention. And if we are treating an animal like this, who bites us and who goes to the bathroom in our house, (laughs) how much more so does God love us who as he has adopted us into our family? As God has set his loving affection on us and has brought us into his family. It's Sinclair Ferguson, the great theologian, says this, the notion that we are children of God, his own sons and daughters, is the mainspring of Christian living. Our sonship to God is the apex of creation and the goal of redemption. And I believe what we're talking about today is central to us getting an understanding and a heart of the gospel so that we live out of the reality of what Jesus has called us to, to be family to one another, to love one another well, to love the world well, to love our neighbors well. We need the message of adoption as the sons and daughters of God today so profoundly. And so today, first I want to ask this question, how do you become a child of God In our passage, it says this in Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. Romans 8, 9 tells us that anyone who belongs to Christ has the Holy Spirit. There's not two classes of Christians, those who have the Spirit and those who don't. There's only one kind of Christian, those who have the Spirit. And those who have the Spirit, Paul says, are the sons of God. How do you belong to Jesus? How do you get that in your life? by faith, by God's grace alone, and by faith and trusting in Jesus and what he's done in for us uh, in his life and his death on the cross and in his resurrection. We come to him only by grace through faith alone, and this is available to anyone who would believe and rest in the goodness of Jesus. This is how you become a son or a daughter of God. The next thing I want us to see is this, the benefits of adoption. And we're going to spend our time here this morning, the benefits. And today, normally when we talk about this theology of adoption, we also connect very much the reality of because of the theology of adoption, we should be a people that are committed to the practice of adoption and foster care for children in our, in our city, in our neighborhoods. And so we do that because of this doctrine of the of adoption. But today I want to flesh out 
the, the powerful reality of adoption in the gospel, the benefits of adoption. First is this, we receive sonship through adoption. In this passage, Paul teaches us that through faith in Jesus, we have sonship. And this is not Paul being chauvinistic, believe it or not. Instead, this is Paul saying this. He's being revolutionary by saying this, that all people in Christ gain sonship. And what he means by this is this. In that culture, firstborn sons would get the lion's share of the inheritance and had almost all of the rights and the privileges, not daughters and not even second or third or fourthborn sons, but the firstborn son. And in essence, what Paul is saying is in Jesus Christ, when we come to him by faith, all of us become sons. We get the rights, the heir, and the privileges of being the adopted children of God. Both of us, men, women, we have all the privileges of adoption into the family of God. What does that mean? Well, it means this as well. We have security through adoption. We receive security through adoption. In Romans 8, 15, it says this, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Interestingly, Paul doesn't contrast being an orphan with being adopted by God, but instead contrasts being a slave with being adopted. Why? Well, in this culture, most orphans would have been slaves. And although not all slaves were orphans, almost all orphans were slaves. And he says, you've not received a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you've received adoption, which would bring security opposed to insecurity. Our default spirit often, for many of us, is insecurity. And the issue of insecurity is one of the most uh, difficult things that we wrestle with and can be so damaging to any of our relationships and our human relationships, but even our relationship with God. But adoption is meant to change all of that. Our default is often a spirit of fear, a spirit of worry, a spirit of anxiety and insecurity. But Paul says this, although you were orphans spiritually, although you were far from God, you are now the sons and the daughters of God. You have received the spirit of adoption. A slave, of course, would be insecure. An orphan, of course, is insecure. Slaves, he says, would obey a master out of fear. Their sense of place was insecure. Their place of identity would be insecure. But he says that's not true of you any longer. In Christ, we are sons. We are daughters. And a healthy relationship with a parent is never based on fear but love. And God the Father is calling us as the sons and daughters of God to live into that more and more and more. That our relationship should not be painted as shame or fear any longer, but as the spirit of adoption. Some of you have had a good father and a good mother and can ready, readily relate to what Paul is talking about when he says, you're the sons and the daughters of God. And if that's true of you, then I want your mind to be blown of how much God loves you. As great as your earthly parents have been towards you, God's love for you is even that much greater. 
But some of you have a very difficult time relating uh, to this because your relationship with your earthly parents has been perhaps so difficult. Your relationship with your earthly father perhaps has been so challenging and has caused so much insecurity that you find it so profoundly difficult to believe in this gospel that says now you have security as the sons and the daughters of God. And for you, I would ask you to not try to relate this to your earthly father, but to see that the love of God the Father is much, much different, much, much more profound. Are you insecure? To be insecure is to lack a rootedness. It's to lack a sense of safety. It's always to be looking to others to ask them to validate you in, in the deepest parts of your life. But sonship and daughtership says you're secure. And we know ultimately that none of us deserve to be God's children, that this is all because of, of grace, but because of the grace of God and because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, we are secure. You're certainly not a slave. You are definitely not an orphan. You're not an employee. You're in a son and you're a daughter of God. Good parents ultimately approach their children with this heart. Even if they have been powerfully disappointed by their children, they never give up on their sons or their daughters. They have unconditional love for their sons and the daughters. They may have to draw boundaries for them at times, but they love them with an unconditional love. And this is true of our heavenly father and his love towards us. And church, I ask you, do you believe that? And of course you do. And there's also a sense in which many ways you probably are thinking, and I don't yet. But may we believe that and may we grow more and more into this belief because this can change everything. It can change our motives. A slave obeys under compulsion, but a child obeys out of love because God has set his love and affection on us. The next thing I want us to see is this. We receive intimacy through adoption. Romans 8.15, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And this phrase, Abba, Father, is where I want to draw our attention in terms of this word intimacy. Abba is a term used in Aramaic, and it's one of the biblical languages, and it, it means daddy. And while it would feel uncomfortable for us to address God as daddy uh, in our prayers, and I've never heard anyone do that, the reality is that is what God is calling us to do in the gospel. Most children don't call their dad's father. They, they call them dad or daddy or some other term of endearment, of closeness and sweetness because there is such intimacy. And God the Father is giving us that intimacy through his son, Jesus Christ. The spirit cries within our spirit, Abba, Father. Derek Thomas in his book, How the Gospel Brings Us All the Way Home, tells a story of this. He says, I once witnessed an endearing moment in the streets of Jerusalem as a devout Jewish father and his small son were making their way to the wailing wall. With every other step, the boy would cry, Abba, Abba, why? He wanted his daddy to pick him up, and his daddy did pick him up and carried him in his arms. And Paul says this, when you become a son and a daughter of God through Jesus Christ, 
you have the kind of intimacy that when you would cry out to your father's name, Abba, Daddy, that he picks us up into his arms and addresses us as son, as daughter. We have that kind of security, that kind of relationship with a father who loves us, that kind of intimacy. And my own family has experienced difficulty and divorce and when I was a child. And, but I'm so thankful for parents that gave me that imagery of in, intimacy that invited me in their life. And this is true of the gospel, but even more true. If it's true of, of us as broken parents, and I, I'm a good dad who invites intimacy in, in, in with my sons in a relationship with me, but I'm broken and fallen and sinful. If that's true of me, how much more so is that true of God the Father who's perfect in every way? Next, we receive assurance through sonship and adoption. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. John Stott, the great theologian and pastor, says this, Paul assembles four pieces of evidence, assurance that the Spirit bears witness to it. First, the Spirit leads us into holiness. Verse 14, secondly, in our relationship to God, he replaces fear with freedom, assurance. Verse 15, thirdly, in our prayer, prayers, he prompts us to call God father or daddy. And fourthly, he is the first fruits of our inheritance in verse 17. We have assurance. And as we spend time with the Lord in prayer, and as we spend time with him reading his word and listening to God in those moments, the Spirit, you will hear the Spirit's voice assure you that you're his son, that you're his daughter. Next, we receive inheritance through adoption. It says in Romans 8, 16 through 17, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, and if children, then what? Heirs. Heirs of God. Fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer, suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Slaves have no inheritance necessarily. Employees of a business have no inheritance. But sons and daughters have an inheritance. And I want you to meditate on this for just a moment. He's saying that we are co-heirs with Christ. And if I ask you the question of this, do you believe that Jesus Christ will inherit all that the Father has promised to him? And does Will that happen? Is that something he can rest in and be assured of with his relationship with his father? And of course that's true. And God the Father through the Spirit and our brother Paul is telling us that we have the inheritance of God through Christ, that we are heirs because of what Jesus has done for us. And when he will be faithful to Christ, he will also be faithful to us. You may not have an inheritance in this life. You may not have a huge retirement account in this life, but in the coming kingdom, in the coming of God's for, uh, bringing all things to completion, we have inheritance. We have something to count on. You have union with Christ. Everything that is promised to Jesus is being promised to us because we are the sons and we are the daughters of God. Friends, orphans or sons? Are we orphans or are we sons? We're sons and we're daughters. But the reality is, far too often we're living like slaves. 
and we're living as if we're orphans. And what we see in our hearts, in our emotions, some of our decision-making are hearts that are telling us things that are not true. God created humanity, Adam and Eve, for a right relationship with him, and he called them into an intimate relationship with him. And since the rebellion of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, our relationships with God and with one another have been marked and marred by shame, of course, by sin and rebellion. But the, res the results of that have been shame and have been hiding. And we see that. We see all the ways in which that plays out in our human relationships and our relationships with God. But as we stated earlier, we are, we're spiritual orphans who now are in a spiritual family. We are the sons and the daughters of God. And as family members, we're called to love one another with such a compelling vision of love that the world might look at us and say, I know they're the disciples and followers of Jesus because look at their love for one another. But orphans have a very difficult time in treating one another with such love. But people who know they are profoundly loved, loved have such a security that they're able to love one another well. What are orphans like and what are sons and daughters like? As we talk about this, I want you to be thinking about, does my heart look more like an orphan's heart or more like the heart of a son and a daughter of God? An orphan, often insecure, often feeling threatened, not feeling a sense of rootedness, a security, always looking for someone else to validate them, living out of shame, Shame is marking so many things in an orphan's life. They feel alone. Does God really love me? Can I ever trust that any other human could love me? Anxious. Feeling unacceptable. I'm alone. Nobody cares for me. Sometimes that'll lead us to, to believe things like, I have to look good. I have to be a success. I have to make it. I have to make a name for myself. Has to prove their worth often feel unworthy, often feeling guilty, defensive. I must be right. I have to prove that I'm right. Orphans, when we live like an orphan, we have a tendency to be either excessively self-confident on the one hand, arrogant, prideful, or full of self-loathing on the other, excessively. Constantly comparing ourselves to others. We could go on and on and on but what about a son and a daughter? Security. And of course, wrestling with doubt and moments of insecurity, but for the most part, feeling secure. I am loved. I am cared for. I am not alone. The son or the daughter may be tempted to feel shame and to live out of shame, but says, no, shame is a lie from the evil one. I, I don't have to hide any longer. I don't have to, uh, I don't have to live in shame. I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I'm no longer uh, exposed to the world. God loves me. I don't have to live out of fear because God cares for me. There's a freedom to take risk in life and to make mistakes and, and, and to know that I may need to repent of some things or to ask for forgiveness, but I'm secure. I have God's freedom. God loves me and has invited me into his life. There's a humility, an avoidance of either excessive need to be right all the time or 
an excessive need to push your own agenda. And there's also not an excessive need to feel self-loathing. I can go to my father in prayer because he cares for me. I can cast my concerns upon him because I know he has a listening voice. A son or a daughter can be teachable. And your self-worth ultimately comes from Jesus and his righteousness instead of self-righteousness. Friends, what the world needs today and what we need profoundly is for the church to reflect the kind of family that Jesus is describing, a family that loves each other so well as sons and daughters, as brothers and sisters, as mothers and fathers, that people see our love for one another and say, those are the disciples of Jesus. And whether they agree with us or not, whether they are worshiping Jesus or not yet, they would look and they'd say, this is a compelling vision for how to live your life. Look at how they love one another. And as we look at the divisiveness in our own culture, this is what is needed right now. And in this moment, as we wrestle with the anxiety and the fear and the difficulty of both this virus and the challenges within our culture where there's divisiveness and there's brokenness, racism has been exposed, cultural division is being exposed, all these things are being exposed. What is our heart feeling in these moments? How are we able to address these issues? Is it out of love for one another and out of sense of security or is it more like the orphan? As you're dealing with issues in your own heart, fear, anxiety, all the troubling things that you're experiencing in this moment, is it more as a son and a daughter, as an orphan? Friends, we have this resource in the gospel, this resource that we are the sons and the daughters of God. And out of this abundant resource, this, this will enable us to be the family that God is calling us to be, to be salt and to be light. Would you this week live more and more into the reality that you are no longer an orphan? You're a son. You are a daughter bought by the precious life and death and resurrection of God's son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.